Well, it is indeed a pleasure and certainly an honor to be here. I mean, to be mentioned in the, among the names that Harry named, it's kind of humbling, actually. But it is an honor to be here. Mom's here for her last week. Uh, we'll be moving, well, not moving her, but bringing her back to Delaware this week. So I'll have lots of time to prepare for next week's lesson. So, uh, I mean, Lisa will be gone. Mom will be gone. I, I should be on fire next week. So anyway, uh, heard a good one. Man went through a battery of medical tests. Didn't hear from his doctor. So he's getting a little concerned. Finally, his doctor calls him and says, hey, we've got to meet today. Well, now the guy's really stressed out. He's really concerned. So he rushes into the doctor's office. Doctor meets with him right away, tells him to sit down. Doctor says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And the guy says, well, doc, I'm really stressed about all this and and really concerned. Give me the good news. He says, you got 24 hours to live. And a guy is flabbergasted. He says, my goodness, that's the good news? What could be the bad news? He said, the doctor said, I meant to call you yesterday. <laughs> well, it has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. We are gonna, we're going to look at a part of Scripture. It's got a little controversy in, which is good. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 21, the last chapter of John. John chapter 21. Now, the reason it's got a little controversy in it, there are some that say the Apostle John did not write John chapter 21. They say that his disciples wrote it after the fact. And the reason that they state this is because it's kind of anticlimactic. When you look at John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, you have Jesus rising from the dead. You have him appearing to Mary Magdalene. You have him appearing to 10 apostles. Thomas is not there. And then eight days later, you have him appearing with Thomas being there, all 11. And then John writes this in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, that seems like just a natural place to end the gospel, right? To end the book of John. But if you do, there's a number of questions that remain unanswered. For one, who is going to lead this group, right? Jesus is appearing and disappearing. Who's going to lead them? And when did Jesus appear to the apostles in Galilee. John never documents that in the first 20 chapters. And then this rumor gets started that the apostle John is going to live until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Where did that come from? And in John, Jesus promises them, he says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send this helper, this paraclete, how is he going to provide for him? What was he going to do for him? 
And the last time we see Peter, he's denied the Lord three times. Whatever happened to Peter? So there's a number of questions that remain unanswered. And when experts study the Greek, they really say there's no change in the style of Greek between the first 20 chapters of John and John chapter 21. And there's never been a complete manuscript of John found did not, that did not include John chapter 21. So most believe that the apostle John did indeed write it to answer these questions. So that being said, let's take a look at it. Now it's pretty lengthy. Um, so we're gonna break it up in two, two parts. And we're gonna, we're gonna read the first 14 verses of John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called the Didymus, and Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Peter, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the, the little boat, for they were not far from land, but but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out of the land, they saw charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and he drew the net to land full of the large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when you go back to verse 1, it says, after these things. Well, after these things is what I just told you. Jesus rose from the dead. He appears to the disciples without Thomas. He appears eight days later to all 11 of them with Thomas. And after these things... Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He manifested himself in this way. Now, to me, when I read that and I see Jesus manifested himself, that answers a question for me I've always struggled with. I always wondered why they had such a problem recognizing the risen Savior, right? I mean, you, you look at the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? And they don't recognize him. And then Mary Magdalene doesn't recognize him. And when he appears to the 500 on the mountain, Galilee, there's some that doubted. 
And here there's even an element of that. Why did they have such a problem recognizing him? Well, look what it says. Jesus manifested himself. Jesus was orchestrating this. They didn't recognize Jesus until he was ready to reveal himself. That, that he manifested. He was orchestrating all this. And so they're at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And who's there? Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, which means twin. We don't know who Thomas's twin is, but we can assure Thomas is not going to miss another appearance of the risen Savior. He's going to be there, right? Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee. Now, Jesus had done a number of miracles in Canaan. Um, he, he turned water into wine. John writes it was just the first of many signs he did in Canaan. We know he heals later on. He heals a nobleman's son in Canaan. So Nathaniel's there, the sons of Zebedee, which we would know as James and John, right? And two other of his disciples were together. Well, who are these two other disciples? Well, most people believe because of Andrew's relationship with Peter, Andrew would be one of them. And because of Philip's relationship with Nathaniel, Philip would be the other one. So who would be missing in this group now? Well, we'd have Matthew, the tax collector, right? He's not there. Simon, the zealot. Thaddeus. James, the son of Elpheus, sometimes named James the Less. Oh, man, that's pretty rugged. You know, how'd you like to be named the Less? You know, Bob the Less. We're going to have Bob the Less speak to us today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, that's pretty tough. Where are these guys? Well, you have to, you have to guess... And I would guess they're probably still back in Jerusalem, right? I mean, Jesus appeared to them twice in Jerusalem. You know, the women are saying, hey, you need to go to Galilee. And, but he's appearing to them in Jerusalem. And they're saying, well, let's split up. You, you four stay in Jerusalem. We'll go, we'll go to Galilee. I mean, we have to cut the apostles some break here. We've got to cut them some slack. These guys had been through a lot in the last few weeks. Can you imagine they went through the triumphal entry. They went through the cleansing of the temple, right? They went through this Passover meal where he breaks the bread and says, this is my body, and takes the third cup of the Passover meal and says, this is my blood. This is a new covenant, right? Uh, what's this all about? Then you got Judas betraying him, Peter denying him, right? He's, he's arrested. He goes through six trials, three Roman, three Jewish, finally Pontius Pilate succumbs to pressure. You know, they, they, he dies a gruesome, inhumane death. He's buried, and then he's, he's peering now. He's popping up, right? They, I would be confused. Wouldn't you be confused at what, what's going on? So, I mean, so they're split up. And then in verse 3 of John chapter 21, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, there's even controversy about this. Some experts believe Peter's done with the ministry. He's punting the ministry. He says, I'm going back to fishing. And they cite that Jesus has to do a miracle to remind them of their calling. Right? And then in John chapter 21, verse 15, we're going we're gonna to get there. But Jesus has to ask Peter, 
Do you love me more than these? Referring to the fish on the grill, maybe. And then they also say John chapter 16, verse 32. If you look at that verse, what it says, Jesus prophesies that they would all scatter. He says, behold, the hour is come and now is where you will all be scattered, each to your own home and leave me alone. Well, home is added in after the fact. In the Greek, it really says each to its own. It could be own home. It could be own family. It could be own way of making a living. It could be own profession. So some say that Peter's done. Others say, wait a second, you can't be that hasty. All right. First of all, the Greek really doesn't support that. The Greek really more supports that this is a fishing trip. A matter of fact, fishing in the Greek could be translated, I'm going to fish. If you have a King James Bible, you will see that it's translated, I'm going a-fishing. Right? And the miracle that Jesus does is not only to remind them of their calling, but to also show them that he's going to provide for them. He's going to continue to be with them and provide for them. And would Peter be so anxious to see the Lord that he jumps in the lake if he was thinking about punning the ministry? Most likely not, right, after his denial. I think we have to understand Peter. Peter's kind of hyperactive. I mean, he's kind of like my third and fourth graders here at Stonebriar. You know, he's kind of hyperactive. He can't stand to be you know, idle, and he gets bored easily. Who knows? He could be our first recorded case of ADD. I don't know. Uh, I mean, he, he he just says, hey, I'm going fishing. And the others join in. I, I don't think we can be dogmatic here which way we go. I've, I've heard it taught both ways. But they go out, and they go out in the boat, and, of course, they catch what? Nothing. Right? Don't you wonder how these guys ever made a living? Every time we see them on a fishing trip, you know, they they're not catching anything. Right? They, they catch nothing. In verse 4, but when the day was now breaking, so they've been out on, on the lake all night. They're tired. They're hungry. Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I mean, he's 100 yards away. I can appreciate that they can't recognize him 100 yards away. And Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now, that when he uses that term, children, that's a term of endearment. Really, that could, be, that could be read as my children or my lads or my friends. It's a term of endearment. And then he asks the question no fisherman wants to hear, right? Do you have any fish or did you catch anything, right? I mean, believe me, if you have fishermen in your family and they go fishing, don't ask them what they caught. Just ask them how their fishing trip went. All right? They'll tell you what they caught. Believe me. So he asked the tough question, do you have any fish? Do you? And they have to say, no, we didn't catch anything. And then in verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. Now, if I was in the boat, 
and I was a professional fisherman. I was tired. I was hungry. Right? I would have yelled out, hey, why don't you mind your own business? You know? right? But there's authority in this voice. Right? They had seen this before, did they not? When you look back to Luke chapter 5. Matter of fact, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Let's, let's read verses 3 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 3. They had seen this. This was their calling. Luke chapter 5, verses, verse 3. And when he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to be put out a little way from the land, he sat down and began to teach, teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do what, as you say. And he let down his nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish. Their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that he, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For the amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which, would, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this was a miracle very similar to what the calling was, that, the, that they would be fishers of men. And so when you go back to John chapter 21, so they cast down and then they get a catch. They're not able to haul it in because of the great, number of fish it's a great catch and verse 7 of john chapter 1 therefore that disciple whom jesus loved well that's john right the apostle john now tradition has it john might have been as young as 13 14 years old he was the younger brother of james and because of his youthfulness Jesus always keeps him very close to himself. And John learns a lot by being close to Jesus. And, and guys being guys, you know, you guys know, when, when we're in a group, it's not very long before we make fun of each other, right? And they're probably saying, ah, that's John. That's the apostle Jesus loves. And John kind of takes to the name. You know, he likes it. He uses it in his gospel. He doesn't want to take any glory from Jesus by using his own name, so he uses his nickname, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, John seems to be the guy that first perceives what's going on. Remember at the empty tomb, what does he do? He looks in and believes. Believes what? Believes Jesus indeed rose from the dead. Peter, he's the first one to react, right? He's the, he's the action guy, right? He's the first one to react. 
And, and so he says that Peter it is the Lord. I'm back in John chapter 21. So when Peter, Simon Peter heard this, he put on a, that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. He swims the hundred yards. He's the first one to react. Remember at the empty tomb, what did he do? He runs right in there. He doesn't, he doesn't care about being defiled. He runs into that tomb. He's looking around. He's an action guy, right? He's an action guy, and he puts on his outer garment. I tried to figure out what this outer garment was. You know, some of your translations says it's a tunic. Some say it's a cloak. Some say that Peter was naked. Some say that he was stripped down for work, but we really don't know. But evidently, he wanted to look presentable for the Lord, even though he'd be soaking wet. But, you know, he wanted to look good. And, you know, Peter always had a problem staying in the boat, and so he throws himself in the sea. And then in verse 8, But the other disciples came in a little, the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but but a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So they're dragging. He leave, Peter leaves the guys to do the uh, the work. You know, he leaves them to do the work. When he get when they get to the shore, verse nine. So when they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, fish on it, and bread. Jesus is cooking breakfast. You know, people ask me, Bob, do you like sushi? I always say, Hey. Even the Lord cooked a fish before he had it, the apostles. Yeah. Yeah. Even the Lord cooked it. Yeah. So he has breakfast ready. Charcoal fire. The only other place that you see charcoal in the New Testament is when Peter denies the Lord. He has a charcoal fire and he has breakfast cooking. Yeah. And in verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish which you have now caught. That seems like an odd question for me. I, I mean, a lack of fish never seemed to be a problem for the Lord, right? I mean, look at the feeding of 5,000. What do you have? Two small fish fed 5,000 men. Who knows how many people there? 20, 25,000. Feeding of 4,000, he had a few small fish. What, the Lord looked up and he saw eight? He, oh, I didn't know there was going to be eight for breakfast. I don't have enough fish. No, no. I think he's teaching them something. Uh, you know, when I taught this in jail, I don't know, it was about four months ago. Sometimes the inmates, they just surprise you. You know, and I said, why do you think the Lord said, bring me some of the fish that you now caught? An inmate by the name of Derek says, hey, he just did a miracle showing them they were going to be fishers of men. And he was telling them, when you catch those men, you bring them to me. Kind of liked it, you know. But I think there's an object lesson here. I think there's an object lesson. I think Jesus is telling them, yeah, I'm providing breakfast. I'm going to continue to provide for your ministries. But guess what? You guys have a part in this. You have a part in this. I expect a good and honest effort by you guys. You know, I, I'm talking to myself here, so don't be critical. I think in ministry, we get a little lazy, lackadaisical. You know, we all love each other. We're all forgiving. We're all busy, right? And 
I think sometimes we don't put our best effort in. And I think Jesus is teaching these guys, you're going to have to put your best effort in. Sure, what did their best effort produce? Zero fish, right? But coupled with Jesus' power and Jesus' will, a great fish, great catch. Matter of fact, we're going to see 153 large fish. I think Lord expects us to put in our best effort in our ministries. And, you know, some, the thing that disappoints, disappoints me, and I see it in the jail ministry, I see volunteer chaplains like myself reading the jail lesson that we're going to be teaching in five minutes up in the jail, reading it for the first time. Really? And all week you didn't have time to look at the lesson? I've seen it here at Stonebriar. I've seen elementary teachers, you know, now it's been a while since I've seen it, but I, I would say I've seen elementary teachers or as teachers' assistants pulling out the kids' lessons 10 minutes before the kids get there. Really? You didn't have some time to look at the lesson? I think Jesus has given us an object. Yeah, I'm going to provide for you, but I expect a good effort from you, and then there will be a great harvest. Now, in verse 11 of John chapter 21, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153, and although there was so many, the net was not torn. Now, Peter finally gets a conscience, okay? He left the other six to do all the work. He finally goes back and helps them. Of course, he's figuring that he's not going to participate in the catch unless he works for it. So he's going back. And there's 153. Uh, don't put any significance in that number. Fishermen count fish, all right, because they're going to divide them up. That's what, that was the deal. So they're going to divide them up. And the nets were not torn. That in itself could be a miracle. And then in verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. He provides breakfast for them. He's providing for them. He's showing them that he's going to continue to provide for them and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. None of them say, who, who are you? They know. They know it's the Lord. And, and what we see in this, this was a very meaningful time for these seven guys. As a matter of fact, Luke records it in Acts chapter 10, verse 41. He's actually quoting one of Peter's sermons where Peter says, but to the witnesses who were called beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This was a meaningful time for these guys. This was great fellowship. This was quality time. This was beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was risen. I mean, he just popped up a couple times beforehand, but now they had spent, they were spending quality time with him. In verse 13 of John chapter 21, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Very similar to the feeding of 5,000. He breaks the bread, gives them the fish. 
Verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he raised from the dead. Third time. I told you the first two times in Jerusalem, right? Now this is the third time. And Jesus is providing breakfast, but he was reminding them that he was going to be with them in ministry. He was going to provide for them. I mean, in the Great Commission, he's going to tell them, Lo, I will be with you always. He told them in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So the Father is glorified in the Son. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. Of course, John qualifies that in 1 John 5, 14, saying according to God's will. In Philippians 4, 19, our God will meet all our needs according to our glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God provides. Just as Jesus was providing for these seven guys, God provides for us. It's in his name, Jehovah Jireh, right, from the Old Testament. He provides. He provides for our families. He provides for our ministries. He provides for our homes. He's even provided for our death. He provides. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was showing them that he was going to provide. He was going to be with them. Now, what was this, what was this provision going to look like? Well, I think we see a glimpse of it in the rest of John chapter 21. Read with me, starting in verse 15. We'll read verses 15 through 24. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he had said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that, that, that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. We'll end there. So, after breakfast, what we see, Jesus gets alone with Peter, and we see his commissioning, all right? Not his reinstatement. Many, some Bibles even put in there the reinstatement of Peter. But I believe Peter's already been reinstated. 
And I go back to Luke chapter 24, back to the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they invite him to have dinner, right? They invite Jesus to have dinner. And when he breaks the bed, Jesus manifests himself, and their eyes are open, and they know it's Jesus. And what do those two disciples do? They go back to Jerusalem, to the apostles. And when they get back there, the apostles say to those two disciples, in Luke chapter 24, verse 34, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. I think that's where Peter is reinstated. Here, he's commissioned. And so he gets Simon Peter alone. And he says to him, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, he uses his birth name, Simon, son of John. Remember, Jesus gave him the rock, right? In Aramaic. Cephas, in the Greek, translated to Peter. But he's using his birth name, Simon, son of John. Whenever the Lord referred to Peter in his birth name, it was like he was referring to Peter's humanism, his human strength, his human wisdom. Remember when they're back in Caesarea Philippi and they're talking about, well, who do the people say I am? Remember Jesus asking the question. And then he says, well, who do you guys say I am? And Peter jumps up. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Matthew 16, 17, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, or son of Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What he's saying in your humanness, Peter, you didn't get this. You didn't get this in your human wisdom or your human strength. My father gave it to you. So here he's again kind of referring to his humanness. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I said, could be the fish on the grill. Do you love me more fishing, Peter? Or it could be the other six disciples. Do you love me more than these guys? But John records the word for love there is agapao. The noun form is agape. It's unconditional love, total commitment, love of the highest degree. And Peter responds. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. John records Peter doesn't use agapao. He uses a different form of love, phileo, a lesser degree of love, brotherly love, right? The city of Philadelphia. You know, city of brotherly love gets its name from it. Phileo. You know I love you, but I phileo. Maybe Peter's saying, well, you know, I denied you three times. Um, you know, the night of the crucifixion. I'm not sh quite sure I can commit to agapao love. And he gives him a command. Ten my lambs. Lambs. These are baby sheep. Right. Baby sheep. And he says tendum, or really the Greek word there is basko. And it really could be better translated, feed my lambs. Feed them what? Well, Peter gets it. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, in 1 Peter 2.2, he says, like a newborn babe craves the pure milk of the word 
so as to grow in respect to salvation. You feed them the word of God. Peter was going to be around a lot of lambs, a lot of baby Christians, right? And, and Jesus said, you feed them the word. You let them grow up in the word. And going back to John chapter 21 in verse 16, Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, there's his birth name again. Do you love me? Jesus goes back to his word, at least that's what John records, agapal. And Peter, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter goes back to his word, phileo. And he said, shepherd my sheep. Now, these are not lambs anymore. These are sheep. These are grown. Grown sheep are prone to wander. Grown sheep can be mean and nasty. He says, shepherd them. The Greek word there is pormino. It means take care of them, do everything for them, lead them, Peter. Shepherd them. You are responsible for them. Make sure they don't fall into false teaching. If you read Second Peter, Peter gets it because he talks about false teachers there. But he shepherd my sheep. Verse 17 of John chapter 1, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He goes back to his birth name again. But now John records Jesus uses Peter's word. He does not use agapal. He uses phileo. Do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Peter uses his word when he responds, love, phileo. He uses phileo too. And he, he says that you tend my sheep. He goes back to the first command, basco. Basco my sheep. Feed my sheep. The sheep, these grown lambs, are going to need the word of God too. You feed them. It's like James says, they're not going to need the pure milk of the word. They're going to need what? Solid food now. But they need, that's how you're going to have to shepherd them. They need the word of God. Now, Peter's grieved, right? He's grieved because this, first of all, reminds him of his denial. You know, three times he denied the Lord, and three times now Jesus has asked him if you love him. But I think when John records this play on the word love, there's some meaning there. I think what Peter's grieved, he's not only grieved because this reminds him of his denial, but I think Jesus is insinuating, Peter, in your humanness, in your human strength, in your human wisdom, can you even phileo me? Did not Peter have brotherly love on the night of the crucifixion? I think he did. Wasn't he the one that said, uh, if they all fall away, I will never fall away? Hey, I, you know, not me, Lord. They, they might all mess up, but I'm not going to mess up. Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone thinks he takes a stand, take heed that he fall, that he does not fall. 
Sometimes, you know, in our humanness and our human strength, where we think we're the strongest is where the enemy comes a-calling. You know, where the enemy comes a-calling. You know, um, I'm no great disciple. Don't get this wrong. You know, but I'm involved in a number of ministries, right? I'm, you know, I'm in jail ministry, and I'll give you an update next week a little bit on the jail, what's going on there. And uh, I teach third and fourth grade here. Lisa and I were were premarital counselors for marriage foundations for, you know, people that want to get married. We, you know, lead them through a premarital booklet, help them to address questions before they get married. And there's a number of other ministries we're involved in. And in my humanness, I would think that there's no way I would ever fall into sexual immorality. I would never cheat on Lisa. The enemy recently said, let's see. Let's see. And I think some of you know that Lisa and I went to my 50th reunion at Grove City College uh, at homecoming at the end of September. And, uh, you know, I, I went, in college, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. Let's, let's, you know, I was into partying and having a good time and barely getting by in my grades, you know. I was just trying to get by. I was into having a good time. But there was one girl at the end of my junior year. She liked me. I liked her. You know, we had something going. And she was a year older. She shouldn't have even been in our homecoming. She graduated in 1972. I graduated in 1973. And Lisa and I were invited to a mixer by a girl that her and I did the yearbook together. She was the chairman of the 50th reunion. And she says, you come to the mixer. She had a suite in a hotel. You come, we're going to have some people up before we have dinner Friday night. And so we go. Lisa and I, and there's only two people in the suite when we show up. The girl I did the yearbook with and this girl I had, you know, was girlfriend, really, at the end of my junior year. And I, I you know, I walked past this girl that I, I liked her in my junior year. I left my poor wife to talk to her, you know. I just, I walked past, I walked past the girl that, uh, I walked to the girl I did the yearbook and we caught up. And, and then as more people came, you know, then I, I, I went to this girl that I liked in my junior year and we caught up and she told me she was single, divorced for the second time, you know, had a couple kids, uh, grown, taking care of her mom and assisted. We had a nice conversation. Later that night, we go to dinner, okay, and Lisa and Lisa and I are sitting at a table, and we're talking to another one of my classmates who had a great story, you know. I, I don't know. I went to Grove City College. Um, it had advanced. It, it was associated with Air Force ROTC, meaning first two years was mandatory. You had to take ROTC. Then after your sophomore year, you can make a commitment to the Air Force. You could commit to the Air Force for six years, and they would pay for your junior and senior year college, and you'd come out as a second lieutenant. And this is what this classmate had done. We were talking to him at dinner. He had a great story. Became a pilot, flew in Vietnam, was exposed to Agent Orange, had cancer twice, beat it. Both times he wasn't supposed to beat it, and he did. And as we're talking to him, this girl that liked me, and I liked her my junior year, she comes up and taps me on the forearm. 
And she says, come here. And uh, I walk over, and she says, I just wanted to let you know I made a mistake breaking up with you. <laughs> now, this is 50 years later, okay, people? 50 years later. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it worked out better for me. You know, I got a beautiful wife who's a godly woman, you know, was instrumental in leading me to the Lord, you know. But in my humanness, that field, that fed my pride, fed my ego, right? And, you know, I ended up giving her my personal testimony. I says, hey, I'm not the same guy I was in college. And she listened politely, you know. But the point of that is, it could have been very easy, if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit, for me to get that girl's phone number, get her email, and say, hey, let's catch up. And who knows where that would have led. So you have to watch where you think you're the strongest. Sometimes the enemy comes calling. And we're all weak. And, and, you know, to an extent, that's what Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter. Listen, in your humanness, you're not going to be able to do this, Peter. In your human strength, you're not going to be able to do this. I'm not willing to entrust my lambs, my sheep, to someone who is not willing to commit to them, commit an unconditional love to them. You need the Holy Spirit, Peter. And I think we see a glimpse of that when we look at verses 18 and 19. Look what he says. Truly, truly, whenever the Lord says truly, truly, pay attention. I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. He's saying to Peter, hey, when you were young, you girded yourself. That meant you took your cloak, you stuck it in your belt, you freed up your legs, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're older, Peter, someone else is going to gird you. That someone else is going to be the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is going to gird you. And the Holy Spirit is going to take you where you never imagined you'd go. The Holy Spirit would take Peter in front of the Sanhedrin. The Holy P Spirit would take Peter to prison. The Holy Spirit would take Peter to Gentile territory. The Holy Spirit would lead Peter to eat unclean food. The Holy Spirit would take Peter to Rome, where he would stretch out his hands, signifying the death, the kind of death that would glorify God. Tradition has it, that Peter was crucified upside down, didn't want to be crucified like the Jesus. By Nero, around 68, 69 AD. Jesus, after this, in verse 19, gives him a command. Follow me. You're not going to do it without the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Jesus told him in John chapter 16, 
he says that he will guide you in all truth. In chapter 16, verse 15, he says, He will take of mine and disclose it to you. But you will receive your power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our power source is the Holy Spirit. That's what we need in order to follow Jesus. See, the point was, yeah, Jesus provided breakfast but he was going to provide the Holy Spirit to these apostles. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by my might nor my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Peter, you're not going to be able to do this in your human strength. You're not going to be able to do this in your humanism and your human wisdom. Now, Peter doesn't have the Holy Spirit now. So he kind of falls off his horse right away. Look at verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper, and said, Lord, who is it who betrays you? Remember at the Last Supper, they're trying to figure out who, who was going to betray Jesus. 21, so Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Right away, Peter's looking around. He's looking around. And he says, what about John? You know, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 10.10 says, whoever commends themselves, they compare themselves and they measure themselves with themselves are without understanding. People, we do not compare ourselves with anybody else. We don't compare our ministry with any other ministry. We don't compare our church with any other church. We don't compare our pastor with any other pastor. We follow Jesus. You know, I read recently where every ministry's mission statement should be follow Jesus. That should be your mission statement. We can't compare ourselves. He turns around. He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You have laser focus on me. Don't worry about it the people around you or the things around you. You follow me. Verse 23, Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? John clears up this rumor. It wasn't that he said that he would never die or he would be around at the rapture or the second coming, but... If I want him to be here, he will be here. It's kind of ironic, though. The Apostle John and the island of Patmos gets a revelation of the glorified Jesus Christ. He sees end times. He doesn't see the rapture, but he sees end, end times. Very ironic. And in verse 24, this is the disciple who's testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. No disciple of G John would have put that in there because it would have been a lie. You know, so we know that John wrote this. People, Peter changes. And he, in the Gospels, we see Peter as selfish and unloving and impulsive and... Uh, you know, full of himself. 
But when we start looking at the letters of Peter, we see a completely different person. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we see a person that's loving, compassionate, a servant of Jesus, serves the church for, he pastors that church for three decades. He's a different person by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. We all got the Holy Spirit when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our God and Savior. We get 100% of them. as that old saying. You get 100% of the Holy Spirit. Does he have 100% of us? Does he have 100% of us? Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot truly follow the Lord. Oh, we're not going to follow him perfectly. Don't get me wrong. Peter had his issues. Remember, Paul had to call him to the carpet once because he refused to eat with Gentiles any longer. But we're, we need the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit, just like Peter needed. We need the Holy Spirit to shepherd the flock among us. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter 5.2, he says, shepherd the flock among us. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet lording over those allotted to our charge, but proved to be examples to the flock. We are all shepherds, right? To one extent or another. We have families, we have children, we have grandchildren, we have great-grandchildren. Some of us have ministries, uh, we are, we're involved in Bible studies, we have marathon. We are all shepherds. We cannot shepherd without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know the Greek word that 1 Peter 5, 2, when it says shepherd the flock among you, is the same Greek word that Jesus told Peter, shepherd my sheep, pormino. We cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you just humbled by your word that it is so convicting, so just teach, shows us where we are sometimes in our heart. Father, we pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to fill each of us, that we would give you all of us, that you would use us, Lord, to shepherd the flock among us, that we would follow you, not anybody else, not a pastor, not a church, not a teacher. We would follow you. We would be in your word and learn what your will is for our life, and that we would be obedient to that. And Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, next week what we'll do, we're going to talk about the characteristics of a true follower. We're going to go to 1 Peter. We're going to look at a lot of the characteristics that Peter spells out in his letter. But we're also going to talk about fans of Jesus. These are not true followers. We're going to look at some fans in the gospel. So 
Uh, hopefully you'll be able to come back next week. Hopefully I'll be able to come back next week. Thank you, Bob. Great work on chapter 21. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.